Hello, and welcome to Not About Us and this continuing podcast Bible study of the book of Revelation. Um, today, we're going to be digging into the seven golden lamps, or sorry, candlesticks that were discussed in the previous podcast, which was chapter 1, verse 12. Uh, but as always, this is Brad. This is Scott. And this is Not About Us. Listeners, uh, now possibly viewers, um, briefly I'll mention that um, in case you're just listening to the audio version of this and wondering what are you talking about, uh, we're trying to have a YouTube presence, and in order to have a good YouTube presence, I kind of want to connect to you in a way where you can see us. Um, I create little mini movies and whatnot, and that's that's fun for me and that's cool, but I still want to be able to. How do you know what we look like? Um, sorry about that, by yeah, the way. Yeah, sorry. But at least occasionally, I don't know if you can make this out right here, but this is a cat. So at least occasionally they'll, they'll, yeah, they're perfect. perfect. There oh, we go. there we go. Yeah, so occasionally you'll at least have them to look at. Um, but, uh, you know, I want to start off um, by saying that uh, for this stu study, I, I was inspired um, by a couple sources, so I just want to, you know, shout them out real quick. Um, I was inspired, of course, by the Holy Spirit, um, but also I was inspired uh, by Mark Carell Ministries, and he is doing a revisit to his original Revelation uh, study on his YouTube channel, so I recommend checking that out. Um, also, Frontier Alliance International, we've mentioned them in a couple podcasts, uh, for the Ballads of the Revelation, and they are currently doing a Revelation Bible study. Um, I highly recommend checking them out. It's also a great study. Um, and then recently uh, watched a documentary series, uh, The Days of Noah. Uh, that's a particularly cool documentary series that I recommend uh, people check out. Um, all these resources helped, helped me in some way, helped me paint a better picture of my information that I have and, and what I'm reading helps me kind of picture it in my head a little better. So I do, I do appreciate them for that and just wanted to make sure to shout them out. Um, as always, though, this study will be still my study. Um, my interpretation, uh, my, my, my thoughts on things will, will come out. Um, and I just want you to know I do understand that there's a, a great responsibility that comes comes with that. Um, I never want to mislead anyone, um, but I do want to acknowledge something that I feel is pretty important. Um, I feel like I have grown a lot in my relationship with Christ. Um, I've been chasing, I've been studying, I've been praying. Um, I've, I'm coming more confident in being able to say, hey, this is who Christ is. Now, only Christ himself can tell you exactly who he is. So, as always, I do want you to, to, to take my opinions, my thoughts, um, with a grain of salt. If, if something sounds correct, if it ministers to your heart, uh, that's awesome. I, I, I want that to happen. But if something doesn't sound correct, then... I think you need to take that to Christ. I think you need to take that to the source of truth. Um, because uh, we'll be the first to admit we don't have all truth. <laughs> you know, yep. Yeah. Speaking of cats, I'm going to stop this one from making noise. <clears throat> I think you just want to bring him on. Oh, I thought, I thought you were <laughs> pick him up. Bring him up here. No, that one probably went like that too much. <clears throat> Um, now that we're doing the YouTube thing, I'm, I'm, I mentioned this in the Genesis one too, Genesis uh, podcast we just did. I'm not going to be afraid to say things like, hey, if you like this video, um, go ahead and like and subscribe to the channel. 
Um, we're going to have more content uh, that we're going to upload on a fairly regular basis. Um, and I'm pretty sure that, uh, you know, if you were to do that, it would, it would make this guy happy. <laughs> That's low. <laughs> um, but anyway, like I said, we don't have all truth. Um, we do this, we do this as a hope to encourage you, you know, if these two bumbling idiots can, can do this, then there's absolutely no reason why you can't. Amen. Um, you know, so the hope is to encourage, to inspire others that, uh, are interested, uh, for you to go out and, and do this too. Study, chase. I mean, the only thing that we can say is for a fact is that we know it's worth it. Yeah. Um, so as always, that's just kind of the hope here. Um, now, for my studies, the goal is always less me and more about who this is really about. If we, someday we could get to a point where there's no Brad in it and it's just all about God. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it's all about me. I was like, what? <laughs> no. <laughs> no Brad, just God. I was like, wait. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that would be, that would be amazing. But uh, in order to do that, you know, we, we always have to invite the spirit in. Uh, so we have, you know, we start out on the right, right foot. We take this journey with the one that it's all about. So Scott, if you would be so kind as to invite that spirit in here now, and we'll, we'll get started. Absolutely. Um, I just want to say this morning, uh, as I was listening to my songs, one of the, there's a, uh, there's a punk rock version of Man in Black with Johnny Cash, uh, a group called One Bad Pig, and Johnny Cash is in it. It's it, I love it. It's fun. But at the very end, uh, the, the lead singer of One Bad Pig, you know, he's like in punk rock. I'm not going to do it here, but he yells, I'm the man in black. And then he stops and he goes, oh, I'm sorry, Johnny. I guess that's you. And Johnny Cash says, that's all right, brother. We're all in this together if we're in this at all. And and that just, I, I loved that moment. Uh, just Johnny Cash just saying, this is, this is all of us are in this together. And I hope this adding the video, I hope makes a connection with all of us, uh, uh, with you guys, uh, makes it a little more personal. Guys, this is all of us together. So, so as we pray right now, Guys, you pray too. Uh, this is a conversation between us and God. This is not you listening. Hopefully, this is you participating. So, so feel free to join in, and and you pray wherever you are right now. Hallelujah. So Yahweh God, I just thank you. I just thank you, and I lift you up, and and I invite you into this place right now. And and I've said that before. This this place. That Brad and I are in right now, you have your way right here, but also this place and this place. Live in our hearts and also this place where you guys are right now. God is there. He's not here exclusively and nowhere else. Yahweh God, we just pray for everyone listening right now. You are there. You are there. God, you are outside of time. And you are very aware that as we record this, you are here, but you also know exactly who is going to watch it and when, and you are there. So Yahweh God, I just, I reach out and I touch those people listening. Yahweh God, you be there. We are all in this together and we are all yours. Hallelujah. Yahweh, thank yes. you. Thank you. Thank you for just loving us. And, and we just pray that what Brad brings us today is truly what you have for us right now. Hallelujah. Thank you, Yahweh. Hallelujah. Thank you, Scott. I, I do appreciate you, as always, starting this off with a good prayer, an invitation to our great companion, to the one who has all the wisdom. And, uh, and with cat scratches. <laughs> Yeah, we've mentioned in many podcasts about the cats. Now you're going to get to see them firsthand. <laughs> uh, 
Um, okay. Well, we're you. For future versions, I have a decent camera that I'm going to use for these. Uh, right now, we're just using webcam from the, the laptop. So the video quality may not be so great on this one, uh, the next conversation or the, the last Genesis that we just did. Um, still every, still working everything out. Um, that being said, since my computer's there, I'm using my phone for notes. So, don't, <laughs> so I don't want you to think that Brad's just texting through his whole study. <laughs> um no, I promise. It's just my notes. Um, In fact, we're going to stop talking. He's just going to hold his cam phone up to the <laughs> camera and just keep scrolling. You just read. <laughs> um, but that being said, let me talk real quick about uh, about this study today. Um, if you know, there's kind of a running gag with me that I get through kind of one verse, maybe, <laughs> um, in one of my studies. Um, at this rate, it's going to be, you know, 700 podcasts to get through the whole book of Revelation. Now, I'm not upset about that. I hope you guys aren't either. Um, I hope it's been value added for you. Um, but I personally have been learning a lot of stuff, just taking my time, really getting in there. And uh, I hope that, because I don't really see that, you know, I might see, I might see a 10 part Bible study and they'll knock out a couple chapters in, you know, in an hour or something like that. And yeah, you can learn a lot from that, but if you really slow down, get rid of the distractions and, and really dive into stuff, even more stuff pops. Mm -hmm. So, and this is another example, as we've said it before, guys, like Brad just said, uh, we're just a couple of nobodies doing this. Part of the reason, and we've said it many times is we hope this encourages you do your own Bible study. Brad has his thing that the Holy Spirit's laying on his heart. I have my way. As he just said, he's read other Bible studies that in an hour go over many verses, many chapters. You know, there, there's everyone, God is laying something on each of our hearts that's just for you, where God has you right now. So thank you, Brad. Thank you for giving us what God's got for you. And uh, I hope this encourages you to say, well, if, if that's not exactly the way I would do it, then you go after it. Uh, hallelujah. We're all different, and God wants to show you directly, not just through us. We hope this is encouraging to you, uh, but we hope more than anything else, you go straight to God with this. I, I And I would love it if um, you did something like this and you wanted to share your study. Um, I love, I love, yeah. I, my YouTube subscriptions are pretty much just lots of people doing Bible studies and, and, and talking about prophecy and, and all sorts of stuff. So, um, feel free to send us your, your channel too. We'd be more than happy to, to take a look at that. <laughs> Cat's doing something down there. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that one is being a little, a little active. <laughs> Um, but real quick, today's study, uh, the you know, joke is I hardly get through, um, uh, you know, more than a one verse, sometimes not even one word. It's going to be kind of one of those days. Um, last time I, I stopped at uh, the Golden Candlesticks. Yeah. And so today is primarily just going to be about Golden Candlesticks. Um, I hope we find it uh, value added. Um, I personally think I... I I, I, I realized some stuff while I was doing this that that I felt was from the Spirit and made me go, woo, yes. The very first podcast he did, Revelate, didn't even get through one word. It was, <laughs> oh, go on. Um, now, uh, today, um, I, I normally uh, read from the King James Version. Uh, I'm a big fan of Strong's Concordance. Um, today, though, I'll also be discussing a few things from... Um, some of the Old Testament, so we'll, we'll pick up on God's tabernacle. We'll talk about Solomon's temple a little bit. So um, for those, I might be actually looking into some Hebrew words or different things like that. So just to give you for, fair warning today. We are warned. <laughs> okay, let's go ahead and get this started. Uh, the verse uh, last week, it was chapter 1, verse 12. This is King James Version starting out. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Now, I, I talked a lot uh, about the about the voice, um, and I've talked about a lot of I've talked about the voice probably the last couple podcasts. Real quick, I'm going to do it again because um, to me this is important. 
Um, I want to make sure that we know that that voice that spoke with John, it, it was a great voice as of a trumpet. It's the voice of Jesus, which is speaking to John, but now it is as the voice of a trumpet. I do not necessarily believe John had ever heard this voice, the voice that he he knows well, but I don't think he ever kind of I don't think he ever heard the voice this way before. This is an opinion thing, but I was reminded of a fact recently that I'll go ahead and share. When a trumpet or a chauffeur was blown, it was to signal warnings or to call for attention. So this great voice speaking to John right now is doing both. It's calling out for his attention and it's to warn him and all those who will listen about what is to come. In his very voice, we are meant to understand and respect what is being said here is a warning and needs our attention. Like I said, this is one of those times where it's just my opinion, but when Jesus walked on the earth, I believe he spoke softly. The first time he came, he was a humble lamb. He was the humble servant. He was meek. Now, there were times he asserted himself, especially when having discussions with the religious leaders. But I think the weight of his words and the weight of the conviction of his words were what were so impactful, not necessarily the way they were delivered. People wanted to get close to him, to hear the word of God. I do not think he was a shouter. Luke 5.1 says he got onto a boat so the large crowd could hear him. When, I, when he got on the boat, I feel like it, the, the spirit, the wind helped carry that voice. I don't think he was a shouter. But you know, I just saying that is like... Um, even if he was, even if he, even if Jesus walked around speaking, speaking like this all the time, hey, you, over there, and just very loud or whatever, it's still not the voice of a trumpet. It's still not that. It's still not that, boom. I mean, mm -hmm. this is as of a trumpet. It's just like echoing and booming through the universe. And, and just what you said there, I, I like these moments where it's like, I knew that. You, you said, I don't believe he's ever spoken. He's never heard Jesus this way before. Mm -hmm. And it just hit me. It's like, I knew that. I mean, I knew this. The, the revelation is new to John. But that's one of those I never consciously thought about that. This is a brand new. Like you said, he knew Jesus intimately. I just had never considered that before. John, this is the first time Jesus is showing up like that. He's never heard, like, uh, he's, he's never heard the divinity. Mm -hmm. uh, he's never heard the glorious, uh, uh, the, the boom. He, he's never heard the, the God work outside. He's never heard Jesus outside of his humanity. And so some people, when they want to when, when they want to follow a revelation study, they want to get to the meat of it. They want to know about the Antichrist. They want to know about the mark of the beast. They want to know about, you know, how the world's going to end and, and, the, and the new creation. They want to get into the heart of it. I think the heart of it is here in chapter one. Mm -hmm. I think we need to, uh, as I've suggested in several of our podcasts now, Watch the ballads of the Revelation, first of all. Uh, Reunion at Patmos is what really cemented, uh, I'd already kind of thought about this, but it really cemented it in my head. This is John, we believe around 96 years of age. It's been a long time since he walked with Jesus in Galilee. It's been a long time, and that was his most intimate friend. He loved his Savior so much that he wanted to be on his chest when his Savior was teaching and when they were uh, at the Last Supper. He wanted to be on his chest. He wanted to hear the beat of Jesus. If you skip past chapter 1, you don't see the heart of what's going on here. You uh -huh. don't see that John is being reunited with his friend, but his friend is not quite the same. 
It's still the one he loves so much. But now he's coming back. He came the first time, I believe, he was soft-spoken, speaking as the lamb. Now John is hearing him speaking as the lion. Now John is hearing yeah. the mighty roar of the lion. The mighty roar warning us of something. It's just my opinion, but it, it, it kind of makes sense to me. Yeah, no. You know, so he recognizes the voice. Yeah. You know, he recognizes it, but it's, 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 it's mighty, it's powerful, it's the divine part of him. It's, it's, it's as of a trumpet. Right. You know, later it's described as the sound of many waters, rushing waters. Um, so I just, I don't want to lose track um, when we continue on here of that. And I might mention it again next time just because we're also going to, next podcast, we're going to get into his appearance. Um, I've been excited about that for a while. So um, yeah. that'll be a good one too. But I don't want to forget that he also is speaking with power as the lion. Um, so I'm going to move, a, I'll go ahead and move on from the grid unless you have any other no, no, thoughts. go on with that. But uh, let's go ahead and get on to the, the golden candlesticks. Now, I started as I usually do. I looked up uh, words in Strong's Concordance. And uh, the Greek word for golden used here is, um, and we always have to apologize for this part, we're not fluent in Greek. Uh, as I say, it's all Greek to me. Uh, and we're not fluid in Hebrew, um, so we do our best with this part of it. But karousesos, uh, <laughs> uh is the word for golden in Greek. Um, and it means golden, uh, made of gold, adorned with gold. So you're really cementing the gold fact there. <laughs> but... <laughs> You know, you, you, you think of it exactly what we're seeing is what it's telling you. We're visualizing golden candlesticks made with gold or at least golden in color. Um, however, looking into the root of this word, I saw something that I thought was pretty cool. The root of the word is Strong's Concordance 5557, and this one's just Crusos. And the definition is gold, but... I saw something in the word study here. Oh, it's a little different on my phone. <clears throat> it's gold, used also as a symbol of profound purchasing power, potential acquisition. I heard you give a little gas. You oh, might know where I'm going with this. Yeah. So the word study helper says gold, used as a symbol of profound purchasing power and potential acquisition. 1 Corinthians 6.20, switching to the Passion Translation, you were God's expensive purchase, paid for with tears of blood. So by all means, then, use your body to bring glory to God. A note on that verse states, as translated from the Aramaic, your soul was purchased with the bride price of the precious blood of Christ. So the connection I see is you and I, all of us, we were purchased at a great price. It's the bride's price too, which we'll get into some of that later. But And even right here in Revelation, standing amongst the golden candlesticks is the one who purchased you uh, with his precious blood, which is even more precious than gold, but the golden candlesticks give us a physical representation of how much the cost of our purchase was. Even then, we still cannot fully understand just how much and how high that cost was. I'm sure there are many important reasons the candlesticks are golden, but in my head, the physical representation of Christ and the profound purchasing price he paid for us paid for us seems to be the most important right now. It is a reminder of just how much and what cost he is willing to pay for us. 
The world tries to tell us that we are not important. The world tries to tell us uh, all of existence happened by accident. We're just one planet in a universe of billions of other planets. We evolved from animals, so there's nothing special about being a human. And we're all going to be dead and gone someday, so just do whatever you want now. Mm -hmm. Find your happiness here. Those ideas, to me, are depressing. But that is what popular opinion is trying to suggest. Now, instead of that nonsense, think about Jesus and the price he paid for you. He purchased you, he purchased me, he purchased Scott. Even if we cannot comprehend why he did it, I think there is something to say about our value and the truth that he did pay it. The cost was high and the cost was precious. So would that not mean we have high value? And if our lives are precious, should we not act like that is so? Now, I thank God for paying the price, and I thank God for finding enough value in me to pay the price. But now that we are armed with this information, never forget that everyone you meet, God will pay that same high and precious price. So I suggest we should treat each other like they have the same value, the same high value that we do. We are all precious, and we all have a high value because God will pay the price for all of us, for any of us. Real quick, I want to go back to the word study helper for karusos. It also stated the word could represent potential acquisition. Oh my goodness, I lost my spot here. <laughs> well, let me take this moment to jump in right there real quick. Uh, I always, you know, um, these seven golden lampstands, and I'm skipping ahead. We know, you know, he says the golden lampstands are the seven churches. Sorry, the golden candlesticks you've been saying, but... Uh, yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> I know, sorry. I know my version says lampstands. Uh-huh. Um, but golden, I always treated that as, okay, they're golden. Mm -hmm. They're they're of God. I, I treated it as regal, important, you know, royal. I, I, I treated them as, as, as something, uh, it, it was symbolic of his, his kingship, his deity, you know, that kind of thing. It was always the most, all of the, the, the stuff in the Holy of Holies was golden. Mm -hmm. You know, everything... Uh, you know, gold had high importance. I never put that on it specifically. The no. fact that it specifically refers to the purchase price, the, the how valued they are and how, it, yeah, yeah, the, the, the purchase paid for by his own blood, the most important thing that we could have, the, 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 the highest value God could place on us he did mm -hmm. and and paid the highest price for it i that's putting it in a new light for me and i would have been the same way until i looked into that word and saw the the word study helper there mm -hmm. and it, it's true it, it we see it as grandeur and splendor and wow it's gold it's it's you know, yeah it's powerful but there's also you're also telling people when you when you display something like that you're also telling people what you have, what your, what your value mm -hmm. is. And if he was willing to give us that value, that if he was willing to put that on us, then that means we, we have to have a value, mm -hmm. you know, and it's high. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I also liked that part about potential acquisitions. Yeah. Yeah. You know, standing among the candlesticks is the buyer. And the golden candlesticks represent the purchasing power for potential acquisitions. The buyer is precious. And if the cost is high, he is demonstrating that he has the means to pay it. There are lost souls out there still to be purchased. Still potential acquisitions. Something self-convicting, something I have struggle with personally is evangelism um, like in the moment trying to talk to strangers sometimes even people i know 
can be talking to them about the gospel, about Jesus, sometimes it can be difficult for me. And I know there are many examples I could give of times that I failed to do that well at all. But I think armed with the knowledge of the picture that I've painted in my head, that all potential acquisitions have an extremely high value. They, they don't even know it, but they have extremely high value. And there's not any limit to the price into the price that Christ will pay. So it's becoming easier for me to wrap my head around this. I'm starting to see it more like, like I'm a scout. I'm a, I'm, I'm a scout for a wealthy buyer. And it's kind of my job just to, to find the potential acquisition. I can go into that acquisition, present the information, explain it to them that there is this buyer who's willing to pay large amounts for their value. And then it's up to them, which it's always up to them. That's the thing. We, we can never force, like God himself, he will never force himself on us. We can't force anyone to come, but we can sure present what he has and the value that he places on you and the price that he's willing to pay. Now, if the cell goes through, I thought this was kind of cool. If the cell goes through, I get a finder's fee. That finder's fee is the truth that another precious and valuable soul was saved. And the one that I love the most, the wealthy buyer, will be well pleased with me. And as far as a finder's fee, I think that's probably about the best finder's fee that you could ever have. So yeah. that's how I'm starting to look at it. And, and I don't know, maybe, that, maybe that'll be helpful to other people um, who struggle with kind of the same thing. But uh, all those potential acquisitions, they have extremely high value. And uh, we want to win them over to the buyer because we know it's worth it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's investigate uh, the Greek word for candlesticks. It's Strong's Concordance 3887. And this one is uh, luknia, and the definition is a lampstand. So candlestick, lampstand. Sorry, that was given away. <laughs> <laughs> no, because there's still more to it. All right. Um, a lampstand, um, a candlestick. Um, in Hebrew, of course, we know that a lampstand is translated as menorah. So the golden candlestick in the King James Version is a golden menorah. And several of my translations actually translate it as such. Um, one of mine says lampstand, King James Version says candlestick, my Institute for Scripture Research Version says uh, a golden menorah. And actually a lot of artwork, if you, if you look at a lot of artwork of what's going on here, most people represent this as a golden menorah. Which makes sense to me for a couple reasons. We'll get into that here. Um, in a moment, I'm going to look deeper into the Hebrew for the word menorah, but first let us investigate the base origin of the Greek word luknia, specifically the candle part of the word, because I think there's something cool to see here as well. This is Strong's Concordance 3022, and this one is lykos, lyokos, and the definition is bright and white. The usage is white, bright, and brilliant. Now, I, I looked up an image of, a, of the flame from a candlestick. And when I was looking at it, you can, you can see that they, they, they burn a brilliant, bright white in the center. Now, this is not major, most likely. But in the next verse of Revelation, Jesus is described 
and his hair and his beard are white as wool, white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. We're going to get more in depth into that in the next study, but when I look at the flame of a candle, you can sometimes see that. The eyes or the center of the flame, orange and yellow, uh, the very bottom, very blue, but orange and yellow, bright white center, and outlined in the orange and yellowish glow. When I see Jesus with bright white hair and flames for eyes, I kind of see a connection to the menorah and the flames that could be coming off the candles. Now Jesus is also wearing a golden girdle, so there is a connection with the gold on the menorah as well. It's probably not a major connection, but to me, I thought I would include that because it was unique and interesting to me. I never really thought of, you know, we know that Jesus is, is the light. He's the light of the world. But I've never really thought about his appearance as being like the flame from the candles. Now, uh, next up I studied, I looked a little more into menorah. Menorah is strong concordance for, uh, in the Hebrew, 4501. But it had a single definition, and it was lampstand. <laughs> now, I appreciate Strong's Concordance, but there are times where I think it oversimplifies. Yes, it is a lampstand, but the design for the menorah was given to Moses by God himself for use in the holy place. I'm going to read the passages to you about the design of the menorah, because I believe to see the golden menorah that Jesus is standing among in Revelation in our heads, we should respect and appreciate the design that God gave. I'm going to be reading from the ISR translation. This is Exodus 25, 31 through 40. And you shall make a lampstand of clean gold. The lampstand is, more, is made of beaten work. Its base and its shaft its cups, its ornamental knobs and blossoms are from it. And six branches shall come out of its sides. Three branches of the lampstand out of one side, and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side. Three cups made like almond flowers on one branch with ornamental knob and blossom, and three cups like almond flowers on the other branch with ornamental knob and blossom. So for the six branches coming out of the lampstand. And on the lampstand itself are four cups made like almond flowers with ornamental knob and blossom. And a knob under the first two branches of the same and a knob under the second two branches of the same and a knob under the third two branches of the same according to the six branches coming out of the lampstand. Their knobs and their branches are of the same. All of it, one beaten work of clean gold. And you shall make seven lamps for it. And they shall mount its lamps so that they give light in front of it. And its snuffers and their trays are of clean gold. It is made of a talent of clean gold in all the, these utensils. So see and do according to the pattern which was shown to you on the mountain. Now, humans made the menorah for God for God's tabernacle. And we humans, we can make some very beautiful and impressive things. But even the design of this candlestick had to be perfect, according to the design from God. The best that mere humans can do though still beautiful, is less impressive than the product that God can do. So when we imagine this golden candlesticks that Jesus is among, try to imagine what a perfect God could do with the design he gave to us. And I think that is what the golden candlesticks mentioned here in Revelation must really look like. And of course, more beautiful than we can probably even imagine. 
more beautiful than our best <laughs> our best artisans. <laughs> now you got me trying to picture it in my mind. Now, okay, so that's what the golden candlestick looks like, and we looked into the words a little bit. But I want to get into investigating the importance of the golden candlesticks and what they might represent on a spiritual level. Some of what I might suggest is an opinion, but one thing I can say for sure, because Jesus himself tells us that it is true, the golden candlesticks represent the seven churches. Now, the seven churches, I will break down one by one in future podcasts because I do think that's important to spend a good amount of time in each church and suggest what they mean as real historic churches, as modern-day churches, representatives of church ages, and even a belief that each church is a personal journey that each of us can overcome or struggle with. That was a tease. <laughs> <laughs> Um, there are some interesting parallels in Revelation and with God's tabernacle and Solomon's temple, as well as the duties of the high priest and Jesus. The menorah is one of those interesting parallels. The candlesticks mentioned here were also present in the tabernacle and the temple. Hebrews chapter 8 also helps us to understand that this is true. Hebrews 8, 4-5, through 5, Institute for Scripture Research Translation states, for if indeed he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the Torah, who serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly. As Moshe was warned when he was about to make the, make the tent, for he said, See that you make all according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. So it said, Human priests serving in a temple serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly. So that makes me think that the whole, the, the holy place, the holy of holies, all of this is also in heaven in a much grander, a much, a much bigger, better, more beautiful version. And as we continue into Revelation, we'll eventually get to God's throne, the creatures in front of it, and and some other areas, and I'll, I'll, I'll parallel at those times too. But right now, one question I was having was, why is Jesus among the candlesticks? What is he doing? And for that, I investigated what menorah was used for in the tabernacle and the temple and what the high priest's responsibility with the menorah was. Now, the high priest daily would light the menorah. The light, would light the, the light pouring out of the tabernacle from a large menorah would have probably been impressive. One of the physical pictures from that would have been a reminder that the Israelites were meant to be a light to the nations of the world. Those of us in Christ are also supposed to be a light to the people of the world as witnesses of God and the Messiah. And the parallel there is Jesus is also the light of the world. In fact, when Jesus declared he was the light of the world, the Bible says he was in the temple courts near where the offerings were given. He may have been standing near or in front of the giant temple menorah, which makes sense to me if this is, you know, if this is uh, their reminder of the light of the world. I, I have a feeling that Jesus was quite clever and would do stuff like that. Now, I find it interesting that Jesus is the light of the world, and if, it's, if he's the high priest, and one of the responsibilities is to light the menorah every day, but he himself is the light, he is lighting the golden candlesticks in Revelation that represent the seven churches with himself. He's illuminating the seven churches with himself. Yeah. Now, he is the light that will never go out, and he is shining that light on those seven churches. I also find it interesting that the biggest symbol of Judaism, the menorah, points to Jesus. Let me try to explain why. One way, of course, is that Jesus is the light of the world, and 
they have this the menorah representing the light of the world. Um, but also, the design of the seven branches. As we know, seven is God's number of completion, but despite there being seven lamps in the menorah, it is made of one piece of gold. It's It was one beaten piece of gold. That was to represent the presence of God among us. And in Revelation, we also see the lampstands representing the Spirit's presence in the churches to whom Jesus writes the message, the messages from Jesus. Sorry. <clears throat> we see in Revelation the lampstands representing the Spirit's presence in the churches to whom John writes the messages from Jesus. There are seven churches listed, but they are all one bride in Yeshua. Seven but one. Another aspect of the seven branches design is that it resembles a tree. In Jewish tradition, the menorah is reminiscent of the tree of life from the creation story. We can see from the New Testament in the book of Revelation that the tree is equated with eternal life. Adam and Eve were banished from it, and Revelation 22 tells us that those with clean robes have the right to eat from it. Thus, the menorah speaks of eternal life with God for his bride, made available to us only through the blood of the Messiah. Yeshua said, I am the true vine, you are the branches, in John 15. He is the tree, and only in him can we live spiritually and produce fruit. The other thing is, in your study, you've brought it up a couple times, when we looked into the Hebrew for the word tree, all the crazy cool things that we got about that uh, could mean carpenter and gallows and all that kind of stuff, all of it representing Jesus. So when they're looking at their menorah, which is in the shape of a tree, meant to represent uh, the, the, the tree of life, they're, they're looking at Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> now, I... I want to jump in with that right there, representing the tree and the branches off of it. And um, this this thought, you know, uh, we're grafted in. Mm-hmm. And which is true, but we tend to think of that as grafted in as almost like spit and duct tape. You know, and when I'm saying it's like we're grafted in, it's like here's the real vine. Here's the real vine. You're like attached on and we're holding it on there. You're not really a part right. of, you know, you're, you know, you're, you know, you've been grafted in, but this grows together. Uh, the menorah, we need to remember that the menorah is a single beaten piece of gold. Mm-hmm. Uh, grafted into Jesus means you become one. It's, uh, you have to remember you're the branch and without the vine, the Bible says the branches can bear no fruit. They're cast away into the fire. A branch on its own is a dead thing. Right. It needs to be a part of the vine, a part of the tree, so to speak, in order to have life. But yeah, I've always, always heard that. Remember, you're grafted in as it's, it's kind of treated like, like, like always remember you're not really uh, a I don't want to say permanent but it's like you're not really truly attached you're it, you know what I mean I I think of it like this like um, you know we've been told that that believers become we can become the seed of Abraham but but I always feel like I'm still just adopted uh-huh. like I'm not truly. A Hebrew. I'm not truly yeah. a Jew. I'm still. I, I've just by by the good graces of God and 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 Abraham, I have been adopted into the family. Yeah. You always feel like you're kind of still apart, but that's not true. It doesn't say you're adopted. Uh-huh. It says you become made one of His offspring. Yeah. So you become fully one of His mm-hmm. offspring. And I. That's what. That's what I was getting at. Is uh, that's the way I feel about it. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of solidifying that thought yeah. that you are grafted, you're a branch, 
he's the vine he's the this and i, I i've heard about this too is that the largest one is in the middle and it represents jesus it's and everything God. else mm -hmm. is attached to him we're the branches but it's a single piece of gold yep it's not branches fixed in and attached it's one solid god piece. himself repeated that it's one beaten piece of work like it yes. is it's one piece of gold um and of course if god repeats it it's important mm -hmm. and so yeah that does help us see that and and the branches by themselves the way they're designed they they're they they're not going to work mm -hmm. <laughs> they would just fall down you need the steady foundation that the branches can come off of mm -hmm. so uh, yeah, no, it, it, in my mind, it made perfect sense. And I just find it so interesting that that uh, that they're lighting these menorahs that represent so many things that could lead them to Jesus if they wanted, if they wanted to open their eyes and, and see. Mm -hmm. And so it's just one of those things. The cool thing is about that is we, not, not just Scott and I, everybody that's a Christian, um, you know, we can we will bring uh, their Messiah back to them, which I think is kind of a cool, cool thing um, mm -hmm. at some point. So now let's see here. But then, of course, you know, uh, he is the tree and only in him can we live spiritually and produce fruit. So without him, we can't produce fruit. Just plain and simple. Now, the menorah was kept in the holy place along with the showbread and the altar of incense. This is the chamber before you would go into the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was. Even though this passage of Revelation uh, does not mention the showbread or the altar, I kind of wanted to look into them too, because it mentioned that this, that what we had here was a shadow of what was in heaven. So in my mind, they are there. Um, and I found some things that I thought were kind of cool. Let's see here. The first one, um, the showbread, was to always be in the presence of God as an offering. Jesus stated that he was the bread of life, and the disciples ate bread with Jesus, and Jesus said the bread was his body. Now, the altar of incense was always, always to be going to represent prayers rising up to God. Also, the altar of incense was a pleasing aroma, uh, in the holy place, but also a pleasing aroma that was rising to God. And I started thinking about how our prayers could be a sweet aroma and pleasing to God. It's actually a line in your play uh, that made me think about this, uh, about uh, your praise is a cool drink. Uh, it made me start thinking about God actually smelling and tasting and and, and what we yeah. what we think of as a pleasant aroma, he might understand a pleasant aroma as praise. Um, so not quite the way we do, but no, I I think this is one of the physical symbols of that. Mm -hmm. uh, I no, I totally agree. It's one of the reasons I wrote it into that the play. But um, no, I, I agree. The the what's going on in in what where you're talking about the aroma. And all of that, it, it smells good to us. And the priests, as they would go in, it would smell good to them because that is a physical representation, I believe, to God. It's a very pleasant thing. Mm -hmm. Our praise, our worship, our, our I believe it's a, a, a tangible, wonderful thing to him. Yeah, absolutely. And so that got me thinking about it. Okay, so our prayers, you know, our prayers can be a sweet aroma to God. So then that got me thinking, what was God uh, very pleased with? God was very pleased with his son. So now I'm thinking that when we pray, when we praise Jesus, when we give thanksgiving to Jesus, when we, when we celebrate our Savior, whom God is most pleased with, then I imagine that God would much enjoy the sensation of those prayers mm -hmm. in the way that he, um, you know, in the way that he has sensations, being a spirit uh, uh, kind of person. But um, so that, you know, that just made me think, well, 
that's a sweet aroma to him, well then that's what I want to do. You know, I, yeah. I, I want to include that in every one of my prayers then. Um, and if, if the best way I can think about doing that right now is offering praise to his son who he's most pleased with, then that's what I'll do. And it'll be truthful because I already feel that way, <laughs> you know, but, right. uh, okay. Um, oh, oh man, we did get an hour out of this one. <laughs> um, um, I got a few more things. Um, hopefully you'll stick with me here. Uh, actually not a few more things, just kind of one more point that I want to make. Um, and this is, uh, we're going to find out here soon that Jesus is, starts his judgment process, uh, with the seven churches. And I kind of wanted to know why. Why does Jesus start his judgment with the seven churches? And I believe for that answer, uh, I'm going to read to you 1 Peter 4, 16 through 19. Uh, this is the Passion Translation, and then I'll give you my thoughts. Um, if you suffer for being a Christian, don't consider it a disgrace, but a privilege. Glorify God because you carry the Anointed One's name. For the time is ripe for judgment to begin in God's own household. And if it starts with us, what will be the fate of those who refuse to obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are barely saved, what will become of the wicked and godless? So then those who suffer for following God's will should enfold their lives into the Creator, who will never fail them and continue to always do what is right. So first, um, first thing, we should consider it an honor to face judgment. Because as Christians, we understand what that means. We have a better grasp of what that means. We understand all that comes with that. And we understand the truth. It's because God loves us that we have to be judged and we have to made pure, be made pure and perfected. I also think that God is cleaning his own house first to find the ones that will stand with him and be true, the ones that'll, these ones will be true and stand with him and will move on to assist the others that were mentioned. God is looking to his own people for courageous ones. And sadly, I don't think the current church system doesn't have any, well, it has some, but it doesn't have many courageous people. I say that and self-convict. As I mentioned earlier, I know in my own life there have been many times I failed to speak up when I should have. I think the church does that now more and more. Going along with whatever the world wants. Allowing things offensive to God into the church. Not speaking up when laws are passed that are offensive to God. Worrying more about the comfort of their members and not preparing them with truth. Yes, there are brave souls in the church. There are courageous ones. And these will be the courageous ones who will stand with God. But there are also a lot of people in the Christian church who find it easier to do nothing, say nothing, and let evil win. So God is starting with his own people, and he tests their hearts to see who will go the distance with him. Now I pray that we will all go the distance with God, for God. Because I think it's important that we, the courageous ones, who understand the good and wonderful things that come from a loving God and his judgment, so we can assist those that don't. As I mentioned earlier, there's still souls, potential acquisitions. There's still people who, who, who need courageous ones. They need courageous ones to stand up and fight for them because they don't understand. So I think that's why God starts in his own house. He's, he's going he's gonna to search those hearts and find the courageous ones. I think... Uh courageous uh at least for me that's a key word there um 
And I'm thinking of Joshua, who was told to be strong and courageous. Uh, we oftentimes, we say God's got the victory. Mm-hmm. And it's true. You know, the victory is his. But we so often forget we have a place to stand and be courageous. He in he wants us to be courageous because there is very real risk and danger to us. Mm-hmm. There is very real threat. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I, I say, you know, I'm not worried for my death. I look forward to what is to come, and I mean that. But while I'm in this life... I also don't know what is coming tomorrow. I also don't know what I'm going to experience, where I'm going to experience hardship, where I'm going to experience adversity. You're right. We need to be courageous moving forward. uh, And because there is, there is, there is an enemy Mm -hmm. who wants everything destroyed and We have to walk in that certainty of his victory, but we have to have the courage to walk into the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil. Yep. We have to recognize that he has placed us in a place where there is great darkness so that we can bring the light into it, the menorah, the the fire of God, the, the, the living light. Um, no, you're so right. Um, we're we're going to be attacked. We're going to be assaulted. We're going to be treated like idiots. We're going to be treated like fools. <laughs> we're going to be treated like criminals. We're going to be treated like the enemy. I can I can vouch that that's happened, and it happens when I am most on fire. When when I am when I'm in spiritual warfare, <laughs> when I'm when I'm deep in my when I'm on my knees deep in prayer. It seems like, it seems like uh, things happen. Uh, you know, people suddenly have a different opinion of me, and and, and they, they bring up drama, or you know, or mm-hmm. or bad things, bad luck just seems to happen. Um, those are those are, I believe, spiritual attacks, and so you have to be courageous when those kind of things are happening, when the world is falling apart all around you. You have to. You do have to be courageous to still continue on, and and not let them beat you down. Uh, the mm-hmm. enemy. The enemy uses many tactics to try to stop you from praising and glorifying God. So you yeah you do have to be strong and you have to be courageous. But as always, you don't have to do it. God. Right. God's the one that has the power. He's the one that has the strength. You just you just have to give it to Him and let Him let Him help you and be your comforter. Yeah, no, very definitely. Um, yeah, he's got the victory. He does, mm-hmm. not denying that. But he says, be courageous for a reason. And we can't treat it like the victory's done. I I can go lay down on a beach somewhere. Yep, can't no. be lazy. We are, He he has a part for us. Uh, to play, he has a part for us to play in this, and we need to see it through. Knowing the victory's there, on the other hand, but there's still a fight that has to happen. Well, and there's still, you know, there's still those souls. So mm-hmm. you can be com- you can be comforted in the fact that we win. But how much greater would it be if we're not lazy about that? If we go out mm-hmm. and get more people so they can be part of the ever and ever that we've mentioned in previous podcasts, that celebration that will last forever and ever. And actually, I can't wait to get to that point where where they bow down and praise because I came across something recently. Um, a lot of times when you read Revelation, holy, 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 you don't, you, you feel almost, you almost read it like they're being forced to do that. But it's yeah. not true. Or, or like it's a, it's a drone, uh-huh. just kind of holy, oh, holy, yeah. No, it's not. It's powerful, and they want to do it because they're celebrating. Um, I can't. I won't. I'm not going to give it away yet. 
but there's going to be a moment. I'll, I'll tease it. There's going to be a moment coming up where the the full Trinity is in God's throne room, and the holy, holy, holy that happens is because of the excitement of that. For the first time, they're all together, and it's just wow. Oh, this is amazing. We'll get there. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, that's that's what I got for this study. Um, next one coming soon. <laughs> we'll get into that appearance of Jesus, which I'm excited about as well. Um, but unless you have any other thoughts you want to share, I'll... No, I like that. Just uh, the menorah, one solid piece, the light lit by the light of the world, mm -hmm. lighting his body, his assemblies, uh, his believers. Uh, we've got to have that light. We've got to have mm -hmm. his light. We've got... It's the yeah. only way you produce fruit. Mm -hmm. It's the only way. All right. Well, as always, this has been Brad. And this has been Scott. And this has been Not About Us.